Good morning, everyone. Good seeing all of you here this morning. Also, we're happy that those of you who are visiting with us have come our way. Pray that you'll be blessed because of the service so far and that you'll at least be challenged from our lesson this morning that I'm going to be sharing with you. So we're good to have you with us. I tell you what, this we find ourselves kind of ebbing and flowing, don't we? We go for a while and, and we'll start to really grow our numbers in terms of our assembly and then another surge comes along and then we back up a few more steps and then we get going again and then we back up a few steps and it seems like we're kind of in a moment again where there's a little bit of surge going on here and so let's continue to uh, pray that God will you know, put a hedge around us and protect us uh, from this Omicron thing and that those who are already attracted it, that they'll get over it uh, fairly quickly. Anyway, I'm just glad that you are here this morning. Let me just get right into our, our lesson. You recall that over for the last three weeks, I've been sharing with you lessons uh, from the mountain where the children of Israel have, you know, they have left Egyptian bondage. They've crossed the Red Sea, and now Moses has led them to Mount Horeb or Sinai or the, what is also called the Mountain of God. And there at the foot of the mountain, he has some things that he's going to challenge them with as he challenges them to be more committed. So he calls them to a higher commitment. But not only does he call the children of Israel to a higher commitment, he also calls us to a higher commit in terms of our loyalties towards God. And so as they begin that part at the foot of the mountain, God says to them, listen, if you hear my voice, and if you keep my commandments, then you'll be to me a peculiar people. You'll be a rare possession. Out of all the nations, I could have chose someone else, but I chose you, that you'll be a kingdom of priests, that you'll be a holy nation. But he lays that down to them about this commitment, and they agree to the commitment that they will abide by what he has to say uh, to them. And then two weeks ago, I shared with you a lesson of God's call to face faithfulness or a commitment to faithfulness and there we talked about the boundaries that God placed around Mount Horeb saying do not cross the boundaries on pain of death if you cross it you're going to to die so he said a boundary around the mountain it was a very simple law but it was one that he was very serious about God is a God of boundaries not only in the Old Testament but also as you get into the New Testament God sets boundaries around us as well and these boundaries have to do with the things that you know we're, we're, we're not to do the places we're not to go the things we're not to say we have boundaries as as well and then last week I talked to you about a commitment to God's rules and I said to you that you know God is a God of rules that bothers people a lot but nevertheless God is a God of rules and he expects those who are followers of his, in fact, I would say that he expects mankind to be those who are obedient to the rules that God has given to us. But we also said that man really struggles with rules. We really feel uncomfortable when people start telling us what to do, and especially if we think that there is a God that's out there who's telling me how to conduct my life, so what I'm supposed to be thinking about. What, how I'm supposed to be speaking, how I'm supposed to be conducting my life, and that grinds on us. That really bothers us to a great e extent. So you might recall that I said to you that, you know, man has kind of a pattern of wanting to do his thing or do his own thing or go in his own directions, and the polls lay that out, especially when you talk about the Ten Commandments. I was staggered when I saw from the USA Today poll that 60% of Americans cannot name even five of the Ten commandments and even worse than that 14 percent can name all 10 of them that's way down there when you think about those kinds of of numbers 
But here's the other one that also is staggering. That is that 67% of Americans, they don't believe that there's any such thing as an absolute or a moral absolute. And what should even scare you even that much more is this one here, and that is 62% of those professing to be Christians said that there is no absolute standard of right and wrong. I mean, think about that for a second. God is a God of boundaries. God is a God who puts out rules there, and he doesn't put out rules there because he can. He puts out rules or gives us rules in order to protect us from ourselves. I mean, it doesn't do him any good to have the rules, but it certainly does do us some good to have rules and to abide by the rules that he has established for us. And yet there are 62% of Christians who say, you know what, there are no moral absolutes. There's no right and wrong. We're free to almost do like we want. So God's rules or his code of, of conduct say the Ten Commandments. And when he talks about the Ten Commandments, he sees them as being outdated or he sees them as being obsolete. Here's what Ted Turner said here at this press conference. He says, we're living outdated rules. The rules we're living under are the Ten Commandments, and I bet nobody here even pays much attention to them because they're just too old. When Moses went up on the mountain, there were no nuclear weapons. There was no poverty. Today, the Ten Commandments wouldn't go over. Nobody around likes to be commanded. Commandments are out. That's what he said. And there's a lot of people really do believe that and, and agree with him on that, which is interesting because when you talk about just you know, some of the, the commandments themselves, when it is that you should not be stealing things, you should not be lying about things, you should not be uh, cheating on your, your spouse, you should not, you know... Um, kill anyone or murder people you would think well how is that outdated how is that something that is not relative to what we are living in how we're living in our world to today so what ted turner did is he went on to write his own ten commandments called ted turner's ten commandments or the ted commandments and in the ted commandments he has some interesting things. He was known, called you know, the Humanist of the Year Award back in 1990. But in this, you can't see them. So let me just read a few of them. They are philanthropic in nature. They're socialist in uh, nature. There's some, some pretty good things in there. He's really big on climate change. He spoke this to the United Nations. He says, I promise to have love and respect for the planet and living things thereon, especially my fellow species, humankind, I promise to treat all persons everywhere with dignity, respect, and friendliness. I promise to have no more than two children, or no more than my nation suggests, because he says the world is way too populated, and so we need to maybe adopt what China did some years ago where you can only have two children. But he already has a problem with that because Ted Turner's already had five children <laughs> and like three wives. And I think he had four girlfriends, and he was saying, you know what, it's a lot easier having four girlfriends and dealing with all that mess than having to deal with a wife pretty surprising there when you think about it. and so so turner has come up with his own kind of how he views life and to him you know the idea of the ten commandments or those rules are just outdated they have lived through their time but i want you to know that he's wrong about that because the the ten commandments those rules are still as relevant today as they have ever been they're as fresh today as they were the day that they were uh, written down so ted turner is right about one thing and that one thing is this when he says that nobody likes to be commanded and that's true people don't like to have rules we don't like to be told what to do in life and especially as americans where we are free people 
it really gets all over is when someone says that we're taking some freedom away and replacing them with some rules that are there, that you're not free to do just whatever you want and do however you want. God has established rules for us to live by. And as I said, they're not rules for his benefit. His rules are to protect us from ourselves. So you have the Ten Commandments that were given on Mount Sinai to, to Moses. So open your Bibles to, uh, to uh, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And let's just notice some things here that uh, Moses said, or God give to, gave to Moses on the uh, mountain. Then God spoke to all, all these words, saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on children on the third and fourth generation to those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, shall, you and your son and your daughter your male servant and your female servant, your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord God gives to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs uh, to your neighbor. So those are the uh, Ten Commandments. They're the moral foundation of society, if you will. They're the moral foundation of the law I itself. And so he gives us out these, these Ten Commandments and he's asking us to consider those things that are said. And so what you can see is that to a large degree, God really is a God of brevity. He doesn't have to say a whole lot for you get the idea of this moral foundation. And I would submit to you that even though these laws are given to the children of Israel, who will later be known as, as Jews, even though it was given to them specifically and not to the Gentiles, of which probably the vast majority of you are in here, the moral laws are something that has just been instilled within the heart of man. We really don't have to have a law that says, don't murder people. We don't have to have a law written on stone or on paper saying, don't commit adultery. You don't have to have a law that says, don't steal things from your neighbor. Don't do that. You don't have to have a law. Those laws are just ingrained within us. We know those things to be right and those things that are, are wrong. We know it inherently within us. But God really puts it to the Israel in very pointed ways so there is no misunderstanding of what is right and what is wrong. And so he lays before them these ten commandments. And they got thinking about that because God is a God of brevity. I mean, he, he does say things very, very short, if you will. Now, there are times when he can, you know, get, for lack of a better word, long-winded, if you will, 
Because following the Ten Commandments, he's going to lay out another 603 commandments that have this moral foundation behind it and bolster it up. So he's going to have a lot to say of how the Israelites are to conduct themselves in almost any manner that you can think about. Uh, but he can, like I say, he is fairly brief when it comes to the Ten Commandments. Why? Because maybe as humans we have a fairly short attention span. But when it comes to the commandments, I thought about what Ronald Reagan said, and so I found this quote. He says, I've wondered at times what the Ten Commandments would have looked like if Moses had run them through the U.S. Congress. Well, I mean, if you run it through, say, the Pharisees, even back in Jesus' day, I think Art spoke this morning of how many laws they surround just the one law of the Sabbath all about. I mean, they really expanded that thing beyond anyone's imagination, or certainly, I guess, human imagination. But Ronald Reagan is saying, I wonder what the Congress would do with the Ten Commandments. Now, there might be some credence to that, especially when you think about some of the most famous words that have been, ha have been handed down within our Constitution, if you will, or within our people. For instance, the Gettysburg Address has uh, only 286 words in it. The Declaration of Independence has 1,300 words in it. Now, here's Congress has some words to say about things. The U.S. government regulations on cabbage cells, 26,911 words. <laughs> well, that's a man for you. By contrast, the Lord's Prayer is 66 words. The Ten Commandments, 179 words. So there's a brevity that is there. Man has a tendency to really expand on things. God can be pretty brief and pretty much so to the point of things. So then you have the, the Ten Commandments, and they're laid out before us for us to understand and then to be obedient. And some have said when it comes down to the Ten Commandments of those things, they say that really it's God's table of contents. Why is it? Because it's the sum of the bulk of the rest of the law. The other 600-plus laws that are going to come, they are the sum of them. They, they, they break it down in order that a person can understand exactly what is going on here. So when it comes to rules, you say, well, you, but God is the one, of, he's the only one that's laying down a bunch of rules. Well, that's not true. Mankind, down through the ages, have had eras where they've had lots of rules that have been handed down. Society needs some kind of rule. They need to have perimeters or boundaries so they know how they're to conduct themselves inside their society. That's just something that is necessary. But God's rules have always been unique from them. Let me give you an example of one. Probably some of you have heard about the Code of Hammurabi. Hammurabi was a 6th century or 6th century um, uh, a king of, of Babylon. That's who he was. Well, in ancient Mesopotamia, they found this stone still that dates back to, what, 1755 uh, uh, B.C. It consists of uh, 282 codes or laws. Hammurabi, he decides to pull his, some counselors together, and they, he says, we, we need to know where we are as a society, okay? Uh, he's beginning a dynasty that's going to get huge. The obelisk that you see behind me, that's him receiving the code from his god Shemesh, okay? Even though he's got counselors that's working with him, so why did he feel the need to put law down on this, this steel? Well, he, he did so because in that day, there were a lot of kings who had laws. But the laws were in their minds. It was in their heads. 
And the subjects were expected to know where the king was coming from. The king didn't write down the laws or the rules. He just enforced the rules. And sometimes you didn't know you broke the rule until you found yourself in court or before the magistrate and found yourself either losing a hand or possibly even losing your, your head. So it was in their minds, and the only time that it was ever talked about and revealed was right before the death of the king when he laid out the laws. Well, men like Hammurabi and probably a half a dozen others that I could have showed you, they decided to put laws down in order to direct their community communities the law or the code of Hammurabi the laws consist of, of criminal law family property commercial laws some say that um, it's a, a little bit like what even uh, Moses had in the law where he talks about an eye for an eye law in the code of Hammurabi the eye for an eye law was like this if a son slaps or hits his father cut his hand off hit your dad off comes your your hand so it was those kinds of laws that were there. Now, for those who are very critical about the, the uh, Ten Commandments or the law of God, 613 laws, they said, well, you know what? The Code of Hammurabi was written 300 years prior to the law that was given to Israel. And so what Moses did is Moses just plagiarized. He just took some of the laws from Hammurabi and some other guys who had written and he just incorporated it into his law except for Moses didn't come up with that stuff in 40 days and 40 nights he's on the Mount Horeb with God and he was given the law all 613 and he comes down and will eventually deliver them to the children of of Israel but it's a superior law to that of Hammurabi well why is that because there's a distinct weaknesses between the two the Code of Hammurabi doesn't really value humanity. It values law. The law of God values humanity. Its concern is about how we relate to one another. If you were to just take the Ten Commandments, just alone, okay, and if you were to just break them down to the first four commandments, it's talking about our relationship with God. If you take the next six, it's talking about our relationship with one another. So the law is about relationship. It's not just about community. It's not just about society. It's about how we relate to God, number one, and then how we relate to, number, uh, two, uh, relate to one another, uh, number two. That's what that really is about. So God's law places a higher value on human life than Hammurabi's code or any other code that had been given. Secondly, the biblical law was a public law. There in Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter, there they're told how often this law is to be read to the people. So it was made public. It was not just on stone, it was to be made public so that Israel knows how they are to conduct themselves. They need to hear it with their ears. And so that's done at least once or twice a year. The Code of Hammurabi, Hammurabi wrote it on the steel, had it put there in cuneiform, and that's the way it is. And, and it's not going to be read to the public. And the problem with that is, is guess what the public couldn't do? They couldn't read. So now they're having to guess what the king is up to, and they learn by experience what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, usually by people losing hands and losing heads, is how that thing is an enforced kind of thing. So you have the Ten Commandments. And in the first bunch of them, he is talking about how to relate to God, how we are to relate to God, and in the second, how we are to relate to one another. 
So God has promised that if his people will keep his commandments or his rules, that they're going to be blessed. Secondly, God's law uh, to bless his people has to do with barriers. So barriers are going to be between God and the people, but the barriers are there to protect us from the dangers of sin that comes into our own life so that we don't find ourselves struggling, so we don't find ourselves in sorrow or, or suffering because of the sins that we commit. I like the way this one guy said this. He says, the barriers of the law weren't to restrain the rider, but to restrain the bull. And then he went on to talk about a rodeo scene. And in the rodeo scene, he pictures that of a bull that has a rider on his back that breaks out of the chute. And the rider is hanging on for dear life. And the bull is bucking and twisting and jerking and slobbering. And going, he's going to unseat this rider. And eventually, almost always, they unseat the rider. The rider wants to stay there for eight seconds. Then he's wanting off himself. And so he's he going to unseat the rider. And then when the rider hits the ground, what does he do? He scrambles for the barrier. He scrambles for a fence or for a wall. Why is the wall there? Is it there for the rider, or is it there for the bull? Well, it's there for the rider. It's not there for the bull. The guy wants to get away from the bull because the bull is going after him, and so the barrier is his protection from the bull. Well, likewise, God's laws or his rules blesses his people because it serves as a barrier between them and the dangers, uh, suffering, and sorrow that their sins are going to bring upon them. So it's not about just law. It's, uh, it really is about you. It's about your protection, and that's why God gave it to us. So you have these Ten Commandments, like this. Honor your father and your mother. The, the family unit is a microcosm of society. And who are those who begins with that? Well, it begins with a mom and a dad. And it begins with us paying homage or honor to our, our parents. And when children no longer pay uh, honor to their parents, what do you have? You have a breakdown in society where authority goes away, and now you've got major problems. The promise was this. Obey your, or honor your father and mother so that you might live long in the land. That's the promise that is there. That's how you sustain a society that is moral and healthy by how we treat those who should be dearest to us. You shall not murder. Back in 2020, 21,570 people were murdered. That's up 16% in 2021. Think about the sorrow that is involved in that. Think about those who have been murdered and their families and their friends and how that has brought so much sorrow and, and anguish into their lives because of what this person did. And probably on the other side of the corn, uh, the one who did the murdering, what about his family or his extended family? What do you think they think about those, those things? You should not commit adultery. Look at all the things that happen with that. You should not steal. It's off the charts right now. I mean, I tried to find statistics for how much it's happening, and all they said was, it happens a lot. I mean, there is a lot of it's way up. You shall not bear false witness or lie to people. You shall not covet or, uh, or, or anything like that. Well, how many of you haven't heard about carjacking? I want that car so bad that I'm willing to take a gun and stick it in your face and take it from you. 
So you have these Ten Commandments there that are set as barriers in order that we're not harmed or in order that we don't sorrow or there's not suffering or there's no regret and things like that that comes into our lives. And so the Ten Commandments protect not only those who are in covenant, it protects those who are outside the covenant. So the Ten Commandments are moral laws that are timeless and are just as fresh a day as they were the day that w they were written. And the only problem that anyone has with this fact here is, is that people don't like to be told what to do. And it really grinds on them even more than that when they think God is telling them what to do or what not to, to do. But to say that the Ten Commandments are not applicable to us today would be incorrect. It's true as Christians that we have never been under the Old Testament law or the covenant law delivered to Moses uh, to the children of Israel, but you'll find them repeated over and over again throughout the New Testament, and I'll show you a few of those here in just a few moments. Before we get there, though, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and I want you to see verses 28 through 31. Now, I think that this has been looked at. I mean, this is not like this is, is new. When I was sitting back there uh, during class, and Art got into this passage of Scripture, uh, Dave leaned over to me and says, uh-oh, he's getting into your lesson, isn't he? And I said, well, yeah, a little bit, but you know what? Listen, Mark is probably saying, you know what? Matthew plagiarized me, and so did Luke, because it's mentioned in Matthew and Luke as well. But look at what he says in Mark chapter 12, it should be chapter 12, not chapter 10 up there. Mark chapter 12. And here it says, One of the scribes or lawyers came and heard Jesus arguing with the Sadducees, and recognizing that he had answered them well, he asked them this, What commandment is foremost of all? Listen to how Jesus says it. Jesus answered, The foremost is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. A second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to Jesus, well, you're right about that. And Jesus said, well, you're not far from the kingdom. You're getting some things right here. Now, here's what, here's what got me about this. Don't you find it interesting? This guy asked him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And notice how Jesus answers him because, I, like I said, I find it interesting that, that when Jesus asks, that he asks what the greatest commandment is, he doesn't repeat one of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't talk about the Ten Commandments, specifically speaking. What Jesus does is he answers that the sum of the Ten Commandments are broken down into two rules and that they forever bind humanity to it, just two rules. Remember, the commandment is, the Ten Commandments is how we relate to God. Secondly, how we relate to one another. And Jesus takes those ten and he sums them up into two laws. So what are those two laws? Well, the commitment to the two rules is this. Love God and love people. It's just about that simple. God is a master of brevity. Jesus took 179 words of the Ten Commandments and he sums them up in about 40 words. And I have summed them up into, what, three? Four, I guess. Love God and love people. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying life itself is summed up into just two rules that you need to be committed to as Christians. 
And that is to love God. And if you love God, things are going to be great. I mean, think about that for a second. We can love God and demonstrate our love to God in, in, a manifold, in manifold ways. A lot of different kinds of ways that we love God. But one in, in, in that we just seek him first, that he put, we put him as the highest priority in our lives. That's what he's asking for us to do there in those first four laws of the Ten Commandments. And this one here where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And if you do that, then everything is going to be really good for you in terms of your relationship with God. It's this other one that gets on us, and that is to love other people. Because other people can really, really irritate us. Other people can really bother us. But think about what he is saying here. If you, listen, if you, if you love your parents, if you love your mom and your dad, it's going to go well with you. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 down through 3, there he says, children, obey your parents, for this is the first law that is given with a, a, a promise. Honor your father and your mother. Why? So that you can live long in the land. That's a, a good thing. That's how you extend a healthy society. And then he says to the parents, fathers, do not exasperate your children to wrath. Children, you're to honor and respect your parents. Parents, you are to honor and respect your children. You are to treat them right. Okay? You do things for, uh, because of how much you love them. And so who would argue against that? Who in any society or any culture would argue about not honoring your father or your mother? In the Old Testament, there you find it in the New Testament as well. Don't want to go there yet. Or how about the, the next one? There he says, listen, you love your neighbor by not murdering them. I've never murdered anyone in my life, Richard. Well, over in Matthew, the fifth chapter, as Jesus is going down through what is called the Sermon on the Mount, there he says, you've heard the older say that thou shalt not murder. But I say to you that any of you who are angry at your brother are liable to the court. And anyone who says fool to someone is even worse. So what is he saying? He's taken the law and he's moved it from on tablets of stone and he's moved it inside our hearts. He's put it inside us. And he says, murder is not pulling the trigger or stabbing someone. Murder is how we hold people in contempt in our hearts, how we become angry with people because what is that going to lead to? It leads eventually to malice. It means to, well, I mean, it means that we're going to do some bad things to people. It could be that we want to seek revenge, or it could be that we just want something that someone else has, and we're willing to murder them for that. If you love your neighbor, well, are you going to steal from them? If you love your neighbor, are you going to sneak into their backyard and steal their lawnmower? Are you going to break into their house and burglarize a place if you love your neighbor? And the answer is, well, of course not. You know, if, if you love your spouse, why would you commit a, a, adultery? Jesus said, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you uh, look upon a woman to lust after, you commit adultery in your heart. Moves it from law on, on, on stone and moves it to our hearts and how we are to be respectful of the opposite sex and how we are to cherish our, our mate. There, there's something about that. Would we not be better off if we were to abide by that rather than what Ted Turner tells us to do? 
take that and apply it all the way down the way through those six lower commandments in relationship to one another and ask yourself, would we not be better as a society? Would we not be better as a congregation if we love our neighbors that way? If, we want, if we're living so that for their best interest, would we ever do something that would harm them, lie about them, to gossip, to tell bear, to do the, I mean, if we love them, we wouldn't do those kinds of, of things. So who wants to live in a Mad Max world without rules, a world filled with, with anarchy, when you can live with just two? Who wants to live that way? Any of you, by the way, any of you seen Mad Max? There's like 10 other things. But anyway, who wants to live that way in a, in a world of anarchy? Well, the answer is no one wants to live like that. The two rules are really good rules to live, live by. So Ted Turner is wrong. They are not old rules. No society can live and prosper without such rules. Like them or not, they make a better society. In fact, even Ted Turner has to appreciate that very fact because he doesn't want people stealing his stuff. He doesn't want people shooting him or his loved ones, and on and on we can go with that thing. So God gave rules to those he loves so that families and society would know how to conduct themselves and how they might experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us over in John, the 10th chapter, and verse 10. So God said, I will put my laws in their hearts. I'll put my laws in their hearts so that they are changed from the inside out. So this coming week, think about this. How might you, you know, demonstrate your love for God? How might, you how might you demonstrate your love to God? I would suggest that you can demonstrate at least at the bare minimum is take time to speak with him, to talk with him, to pray to him, to talk to him as your father. Take time to get into his word. The word of God are his intentions. It's his mind. He's wanting to talk to us. We can talk to him through prayer. He talks to us through the, the scriptures. Number two, how might we show our love for someone else? How might we show some love to our, our neighbor? How might we show love to someone in here? As you know, we have some people in our congregation now who are struggling with uh, Omicron or with COVID. Well, wouldn't it be great if you were to drop them a card or a note or maybe even give them a call? Find some way that you might be able to help them. Uh, show your love and not just talk about it. So the law, so the the sermon is yours. It's really broke down to two things. Love God and love people. And if you do that, your life will be better, and so will the lives that you touch. They'll be better as well. So the message is yours. Your response is yours as well. Why do we stand and sing and give you opportunity?